Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Little. I'm here today with the 123rd episode of Weekly Poker Hand, number 123. And today we are reviewing a hand where I got pretty fortunate. Not necessarily because of the board, but more so because of my opponent's strategy. Um, this hand is from a World Poker Tour event. We are very deep in it. Blinds are 4,000, 8,000. And we'll go and get started. While they're dealing the cards... Definitely check out pokercoaching.com if you have not already. There we have a lot of interactive quizzes and also weekly or monthly homework assignments that I personally grade. So if you want me to review your answers to pretty difficult questions, I suggest you check it out. So far, the students at pokercoaching.com are loving it, and they're constantly emailing me in, letting me know that they are having the best results of their life. So if you want to take your game to the next level, give it a try. As always, all of my video training products or my training products online come with a 100% money-back guarantee if you do not like it, if you think it's not worth it. I don't want you to pay for it. So here, I like to open with pocket jacks from the hijack seat. Seems like our button cut off hijack from the low jack seat at, to 19,000 out of my 430,000 chip stack. And then a splashy guy decides to call in the hijack seat. So that's good. We're usually happy about that. We're certainly in fine shape versus a splashy guy's range. We get top set. It comes jack seven, six. I bet 25K into the 60K pot. So we've clearly been binking a lot of hands in the most recent episodes of Weekly Poker Hand. We've lost some of them, <laughs> but we've also been winning our fair share or more than our fair share. And that is what happens when you make these very deep runs in tournaments. Like I said in one of the previous episodes, I believe I took something like 19th place in this tournament out of 700 or 1,000 people or something like that. So... Whenever you do run deep, you often will just make more than your fair share of hands. But here we bet 26,000, and our opponent calls. So that is great. Um, do not feel bad whenever you make more than your fair share of hands. I think a lot of players almost feel guilt whenever they do not win because of their good skill. They feel like they did not deserve it when they win because they just got hit by the deck. And you have to realize that everyone gets hit by the deck sometimes, and that's okay. You're going to get hit by the deck, and that's a good thing. You should accept getting hit by the deck, be happy that you got hit by the deck, and do not feel bad for it. If you have that personality trait, you know who I'm talking to. I mean, I know I have that trait a little bit. I, I remember winning my first World Poker Tour title. I got it all in with Ace-2 versus like Ace-5 or something like that. So we're supposed to chop it up a lot of the time. Actually, I think it was Ace-2 versus Ace-8, so we're going to chop it a reasonable amount. And they put two twos on the board, so I won. <laughs> and just like that, I, I went from you know, getting it in marginally bad to just winning the tournament. And I felt horrible afterwards because I wanted to get it in good and show everyone how good I was. And really, I think that's just a lot of ego problems. You got to get over your ego. Do not think that you have to prove yourself. You want to be more so just trying to play the best you possibly can. And if they happen to give you the, all the good cards, yeah, so be it. Someone gets all the good cards. So speaking of the good cards, here we have another jack on the turn, so I have quads. So I have to figure out if I want to continue betting. Remember in the previous episode, if you've not watched or listened to the previous episodes, I definitely suggest you do so. Um, on the flop, we were more so just trying to bet like we would all of our range. Now on the turn, we have to figure out how do we get all of our money in? And can we get all of our money in, given these stack sizes? This is a pretty tough spot because I'm not so convinced we're going to be able to get our stacks in. Because what can our opponent realistically call us with besides a full house, right? If I bet, say, 100K on the turn and then shove the river, is my opponent ever calling with pocket nines or ace-king, right? It's just not happening. So knowing that's just not happening, 
I think we need to give up on trying to stack our opponent here. And that is something that happens sometimes. It's, it's not really what you want to have happen or anything like that, but that is how it goes. So in this scenario, I think we just have to give up on trying to stack him because our stack is too deep. So we just want to get two reasonable streets of value. So on this turn, I'm probably going to bet something like 38K and hope he pays. So I do bet 40K and the opponent does pay, which is great. Notice when I bet 100K on the turn, he's going to have a pretty strong range. When I bet something like 80K, I'm sorry, when I bet something like 40K on the turn, he's going to be in there with all sorts of stuff. So River's native clubs, which is great. Obviously, there's a straight flush available, but that's fine. <laughs> if he shoves and we have a straight, and he has a straight flush, we just lose. That's okay. So I decided to bet 57K into the 190K pot, again, because I'm not trying to stack the opponent. I'm trying to get value from some marginal hand, from a wide range of hands that I beat. And really, what can, I opponent, what can my opponent actually call a big bet with? There's just nothing. Like, maybe a backdoor flush will call a big bet. Maybe, I don't know, pocket tens will call a big bet. That's about it. So, and it's pretty hard to have a backdoor flush or pocket tens because pocket tens three bets preflop and a lot of backdoor flushes just fold on the flop. So it's hard to get called here for a big bet. So I like to go for a small one. And much to my surprise, my opponent makes it 157K. So I bet 57K on the river. My opponent makes it 157. Wow. Well, the first thing you should immediately notice here is I do not have the nuts with four of a kind. We have the second nuts because... 10-9 of clubs is a straight flush. If I shove here, will my opponent call me with pocket eights, pocket sevens, or pocket sixes? I would be pretty shocked if he doesn't. Next question becomes, would he have raised previously with sevens or sixes? And eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think that's any sort of a guarantee. We saw someone in one of the previous episodes slow play pretty hard with a, set, with, um, a full house. So this guy could also slow play with a full house. So I'm not really discounting the sevens or the sixes. So if you just think about the combinations of hands that our opponent can have, there are three combinations left of each pocket sevens pocket si- and pocket sixes, right? Because normally there are six combinations of paired hands to start, and when there's one of them on the board, now there's only three remaining, three combinations remaining. So three combinations of each pair. So let's just call for the sevens and sixes, there are six combinations. Also for eights, there are six combinations. So that's nine combinations of hands we beat. And then the hands we lose to, the only one there is 10-9 of clubs. So we, we're going to be losing here 10% of the time whenever we shove and my opponent calls, unless my opponent starts folding out stuff like pocket sixes to a shove, and I would just be flabbergasted if that happens. So in this spot, I think shoving all in is the only play. A lot of people try to talk themselves out of making all ends in this spot because you know you could be beat, and of course you could be beat, but just because you could be beat does not mean you should go for value. And in this spot, I imagine when we get called, we're going to have the best hand about 90% of the time. So what if we instead had jack seven? Would that change anything? You always want to ask yourself these questions. And the answer is pretty much no, because notice we lose to jack eight, but we still we still beat pocket eights, pocket sevens, pocket sixes. So there's still going to be more combinations of hands in our range than our opponent's range. Notice if we had jack seven, there's only one more jack remaining in the deck. And if there's an eight on the board, well, then that now cuts out some of the suited ones, et cetera, et cetera. I always want to count the outs or count the combinations of hands your opponents can have and see if there are a lot of them or very few of them. And in this spot, if we had Jack seven, there are very few hands we beat. So we should probably also shove Jack seven here. What about pocket eights? If we had pocket eights, I would probably say we should just call because then we could be against quads. We could also be against random Jack seven suited from a splashy guy. 
Um, maybe we should still shove, though, versus a splashy guy, because maybe splashy guy actually decides to call uh, call off with the pocket sevens and sixes, and maybe just doesn't have very many jack eights and jack sevens. But then with a hand like pocket sevens or sixes, we should start just calling, because now, like, imagine we have pocket sixes here, we should definitely call, because if we raise and get called, it's going to be by sevens or eights or jack eight a lot of the time. So anyway... You always want to go through this process and figure out what's the bottom of your raising range for value. Um, anyway, in this spot, we're definitely raising for value, so I go all in. And I remember my opponent beat me into the pot. He snap called, and I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm out. But no, he had a six of clubs. So this was just a huge disaster for my opponent, right? There's absolutely no reason he should have made this play. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I made a really deep run in this tournament, because these players made gigantic blunders over and over and over. Like, this kind of play will never happen in a high-stakes, tough game. But against amateur players, especially those who are playing way above their head, they, it's going to sound bad, they can't even read the board, is what it amounts to. And this guy, I remember after he made the shove and I called, or when he snap-called me, and I, I actually looked kind of sick, because I, I mean, why would you snap-call unless you had the straight flush? He turned his hand over like he had the nuts, and then he realized, oh man, the board's paired. So this guy did not even recognize that the board was paired. And the board was paired on the turn. It's not like it somehow came on the river. It was like a random two, right? And this is why you want to be playing in soft tournaments because sometimes you'll have people just dump their stacks to you for no good reason. Um, If my opponent did realize the board was paired and then shoved anyway or called off anyway and decided to put all his money in on the river in this spot for fun, uh, that's obviously not a good strategy because I'm I'm always going to call with a full house here. So we got pretty fortunate here. I imagine we'll have the downfall coming up over the next few episodes of Weekly Poker Hand because I did not win. And, you know, it's tough to get up to a million chips and um, keep, keep going from there and not win the tournament. But we'll be looking at some of those in the future, most likely. So that's going to be it for this episode of Weekly Poker Hand. I want to thank you all for being here. Make sure you check out pokercoaching.com if you have some time. I think that would be very beneficial, at least to give it a look. And remember, there's 100% money back guaranteed with all of my video training products, pokercoaching.com included. So... If you don't like it, if you think it's not worth the price that we charge there, just ask for a refund and we'll give it to you. Thanks again. Be sure to check back next week and I will talk to you then.